Hello and welcome to the Minimalist Moms Podcast. I'm Diane, I'm a mother of three, living in Columbus, Ohio. I'm trying to make room in my life for what matters by getting rid of the clutter and living life with purpose. I hope you'll join me on the journey to think more and do with less. You know those awful, terrible, sucker punch moments in life? The ones that knock you down, burn you up, or make you cringe so hard you wish it was just all a bad dream? Probably, because we all do. These epic, messy, oh-no moments of chaos are just a part of life. Yet, as Dr. Nitha Bhushan shows us, they're also beautiful opportunities for change. In today's episode, Nitha explains why it's so hard to get back up when stuff goes down and how to navigate the five stages of the Fly Forward Framework. Falling, igniting, rising, magnifying, and on to thriving. For those that are new around here, I release bonus episodes that serve a niche part of my audience. So if this topic doesn't fit what you're looking for, join me back here next Tuesday for a conversation about interior design, a holistic approach to interior design that you don't want to miss. Nitha, thank you for joining me today on the Minimalist Moms podcast. Yes, it's so good to be here, love. I'm excited to have you here and talk about your new book. It's called That Sucked, Now What? How to Embrace the Joy and Chaos and Find Magic in the Mess, which I feel like is a great message for all of us to hear. So before we get into our conversation, why don't you go ahead and introduce who you are to the listeners? And then I always ask, do you consider yourself to be a minimalist? Yes, I would definitely say there was a season in my life that I just gave away everything. I sold everything that I had from the fancy dresses to the fancy stuff to the jewelry that I was wearing to the shoes that I was wearing. I totally like bare boned for probably, I want to say six years after my first marriage divorce. And I lived in two suitcases and I traveled all around the world. It was such an amazing time. And so who I am, I am founder of two institutes. And I'm so passionate about the intersection of human dynamics, emotional health, mental health, and our overall well-being so that we can lead lives of purpose and dharma. Getting into that next chapter of our lives, I've written three books. My next book is coming out very, very soon called That Sucked, Now What? And I am a mama of two. One just turned four and the other one is a year and a half. And life is full. I was a former cosmetic dentist. And when you say minimalist, so that came with all the bells and whistles. And then I went to that period of time where scrapped everything that really was no longer a fit for the alignment of life that I was in. And that included friendships, that included a relationship that was definitely unhealthy. And it even included minimizing the contact that I would have with uh, family members who either weren't supportive, helpful. So there is the full circle of where we are today. That time of your life, it wasn't great. (laughs) That kind of (laughs) sucks, as your book says. However, you are on the other side now. You've gleaned wisdom from those experiences, and now you're able to encourage others. I mean, I think that that's the bright side, I guess, of going through hard things is to be able to use our experiences to, outside of sharing wisdom, just to comfort others, to be there for one another, the shared experience that we can just be there for one another. So I love reading books like this. In certain ways, do you feel like this book is a memoir or is it more the advice? 
It's a mix. It's a little bit of both. And I have these anecdotes from my life inside the book of the times I went through some of the most heartbreaking times of my life of loss, of losing my parents and my brother before 19, of having that conversation with myself of, okay, is this the time to stay or is it really the time to leave this situation? And I think that for most people who are going to be reading this book, I know that they'll find comfort and solace in knowing, all right, there is the anecdote or or certain parts of my life story. And of course, other folks in the book that I talk about, which are stories from different clients and different colleagues and people that I've supported throughout the years and their elements of wisdom, but also the action steps. Because I think even in the title of, all right, well, that sucked. Now what? That sucked is an opportunity for us to acknowledge the suckiness of the moment or the time of life that was really tough and hard and not to gloss over it, not to spiritually bypass or not to bypass it altogether, but to say, wow, and really honor it and actually acknowledge it in the room instead of like shoving it under a rug. And then the now what piece becomes, okay, how can I integrate this in my life? How can I, like you say, glean the wisdom into my life? Maybe how can I pass it on or pass it forward for some of the girlfriends, the moms in my life who may be having it hard or may be trying to shove it under a rug, but you can actually see through that. And you're kind of like, no, 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 it's okay. We can talk about it. I'm here for you. And to give them the tools so that they could actually be that spark or that ignition inside of their communities and their families and their households as well. Yeah, I feel similarly to things that I had experienced as a young woman. And looking back, it's like, crap, why did I have to go through that? But then I'm hoping to use that as an example, I guess, for my daughter. And it's like, maybe don't make certain choices or be more confident in yourself. It's a learning process for all of us. I mean, we're never going to be fully perfect, obviously. But you have had to be intentional in moving through some of these harder periods of your life. So what did that look like? And how How would you use intention during those moments to rise above the chaos? Yeah, I love the way that you phrased that. So it's one thing to let the tough times in our life just like wash over us and to what I call sit in the suck. And I think most people don't give themselves permission to sit in the suck because if you're wired to do, 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 go, 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 go as fast as you can, as sometimes as moms, we don't have a choice all right, Jimmy's crying right now. I got to pick up the other one. All right, we nap time. They didn't eat. I didn't eat. All right, we're still going. We're on the move. We're going to have snacks in the car. Like, let's go. And so there is no time for you to take a moment to actually catch yourself. And what I'm doing right now is actually putting my hand over my heart because that's a physical gesture of like, I got you. I got you right now. I know that things are seemingly chaotic right now around you, whether it's the kids, or whether you're going through a really dark time in your life, like a divorce or a loss or a betrayal or something that didn't go well in the expectation that you wanted it to, I got you. And this is that physical gesture of a hug that you can give yourself. But even in the sense of like, oh, wow, all right, this is a hard moment. We're going to acknowledge it. And that physical gesture is also a signal to our nervous system because for years in my early years when I became a child caretaker at 10 years old, to then losing pretty much my family before 19, 
it was in those hard moments where I didn't know how to regulate. I didn't even know what that word meant. I didn't know what regulation was. I didn't know what emotional regulation was. These were things I had to learn along the way. And when I buried things under a rug because my coping mechanism was overwork, overdue, overachieve, because I don't want to feel these feelings. Because a lot of times what I was grown up with was, all right, tough girls don't cry. Resilient girls are tough. And what does tough mean? You don't cry or you don't show emotion, right? And so for me to bury all of that inside, the physical gesture has now become, all right, I got this. And yes, it's hard and it's messy and it's chaotic. But my intention is to feel it right now, catch myself and try to regulate my breathing and know that when I'm putting my hand on my chest, that's like my signal of, all right, let's take a moment to just breathe and be at this and notice this chaos and not judge it, but say, all right, we're in the soup. We're in this mess. We're going to eat dinner in the car right now, and that's going to be okay. And maybe later on, we'll have a better time with this. But right now, here's where we're at. And honestly, Diane, this is what I actually did with every single tough time. It was take it step by step because there's no way you can get out of that soup. And the grieving process that I actually kind of avoided because I had to for survival mode just of how are we going to put food on the table? All of these different things. Is somebody going to live or die tomorrow? You know, like this was like visceral real life stuff that I was dealing with really young. The intention was, okay, how can I be present to this, but then take another step forward and not just sit in the suck? But then a decade later, I had to allow myself to feel and really be in the suck to really fully wash over me so that I can now connect the dots of wow, this has been a really full life. And then to really write this book in the way that I did in this season of life. You say that you were able to gain some comfort by being present, by either touching your heart or just that helps you to be so present because you're touching your body. And it's like, there's only here and now, and I'm here and now. I also like breath work. Dr. Andrew Huberman, I don't know if you're familiar with him. I'm obsessed with this podcast, but he says controlling stress just in the moment. He says a physiological sigh is a double inhale through the nose and then extend exhale to lungs and empty mouth one to three times. So I've done that even, I'm not under intense stress, but even when my kids are a little off the rails, I just do that double inhale and then I just let it go. And it really, it just brings me back to the present moment. And it's like, you got this, you can handle this, but also acknowledge like this is stressful. And so I need a little bit of a coping mechanism in order to move through this moment. I like that you mentioned that, but I'm wondering how does resilience and audacity lead to a simpler mindset in the long term, especially when getting through those tough times? Because there has to be resilience in order to move through that pain. But also feeling the pain is really important too, because I think if you don't acknowledge it, it comes back up in the future and then you have to deal with it at some point, you know? Absolutely. I feel like most of us, if we are not acknowledging the pain in a situation, most of us will bury it, we'll shove it under a rug, we'll put it in a back closet, we will overcompensate, we We will keep moving forward, but that same feeling that we are avoiding will keep surging to the surface until we actually feel it. And so when I talk about audacious resilience or the audacity of having resilience, it's not that we're talking about toughness. Mm -hmm. In fact, I'm not talking about toughness at all. I'm talking about your ability to bounce. 
Have you ever had an image of going to Cirque du Soleil or maybe taking your kids to one of those aerial ballet artists where they're up in the air, they're suspended, they're probably holding on to like a tiny little bar or maybe a fabric. They are so agile and they're moving in the air. They can fall at any time, yet they are not resisting anything. They're just going back and forth and they're flowing. And there is the agility to that. There is strength because you have to be strong in order to hold up up onto these bars and to what is suspending you up in the air. And sometimes they have partners with them and you'll see how they ebb and flow together. That is resiliency. That is the bounciness of how you can actually be in flow. You can weather the tides and the storm in whatever way it comes to you. But if it washes over you, it washes over you. You're allowing it. You're not resisting it. What I talk about in the book around audacious resiliency, it's the intention to be unapologetic, knowing that where we talk about resilience, it's not the toughness, but there's in fact four parts to build what I call your bounce factor. And the bounce factor is your upbringing. So making peace with how you were raised, how you were brought up, what were some of the things that were allowed in your household? What were some of the things that weren't? Were there gender differences? Guys were allowed to, I know in my household, they could do what have you. The girls had to be playing with their dolls, et cetera, minimizing their light, but the guys could go like roll around outside and it would be totally fine. So what were the dynamics in your household? Because a lot of times it will play up in how we relate with one another, how we process things, taking leaps, minimizing ourselves, talking bad about ourselves. And so that's the first part. The second is our exposure to good stress. And that good stress is our current environment. So are we actually using our kids as such a great example? Because we can see, are we being helicopter parents? Are we being cautious parents? And are we being passive? And so how do we allow ourselves to be exposed to this good stress? And I talk about so many ways in the book. But then the last two are, how do you build your emotional capacity? How do you build your emotional capacity to feel and to allow yourself to feel angry and also excited? Can those two things exist at the same time? Can you feel reserved and can you feel curious at the same time, even after you've perhaps maybe had a betrayal or a sucky moment or a failure, but then you're like, mm, I'm going to try that again because this is kind of what we teach our kids, right? And then the last part to this four parts of building your resiliency is your awareness, your radical self-awareness. So just like Huberman says, how can we integrate what is in alignment with us right now? What's really feeling good and when we're feeling wonky, when we're feeling funky, and to take that time out to actually catch ourselves and say, all right, I actually need a minute. The kids are off the rails. They're doing their thing, but I'm going to take my moment right here and let them run chaotic, but I'm going to breathe and I'm going to regulate my myself before I go outside. That is that awareness. Instead of going ham and then losing your cool and then apologizing later, you know, you're actually preempting yourself to say, all right, I'm going to give myself some love right now so that I can actually show up in the way that I need to for myself and them. You talked a little bit about good stress. I'm just curious, what does stress management look like now in your life? You have two kids, you're balancing a business. I mean, these institutes, you wrote a book, that's stressful. So are you able to get away? What does it look like? Yes. So luckily I have found love 
And uh, I do have an amazing co-pilot and partner in this season who is just the best dad to our kids. And I think that's that level of being really unapologetic and audacious with your asks, with the people around you, whether it's asking for support and help if you're in different moms groups or your community, building that community so that you are able to exchange and add value. But then when you need support, you can actually ask for support and people will be there to help out. I think for me, it is asking for help when needing it and being unapologetic around it. Like I'm not trying to be a martyr right now. I'm not trying to win best mom of the year. I'm trying to say, all right, here's what's going to work for this whole family unit. And I know that there's the mom across the street who is also going to need help as well because she's wanting to do X, Y, and Z. And so to be open and vulnerable and saying, hey, here's what I've got going on. Does that land with you? Is that cool with you? Can we be there for each other? So that's the one thing. And then two, making it a point. I mean, I might not have time to go to the gym every single day like I used to pre-kids, like a lot of us, but can I make it and savor the moment of, all right, can I go outside and take a call? for 10 minutes? Can I do a plank and listen to a song for two minutes so that I'm actually re-energizing myself in some way or going outside and just breathing the fresh air? So savoring the moments that I do have to make it actually count. There is one of the things that I do without fail every single day is making my chai. And chai is something that I grew up with. I learned how to make early on. Now I have my own little concoctions and I add superfoods to it. And for those of you who actually get the book for three of your friends, for mom, sister, cousin, or a best friend that you want to get to know, it's like at thatsuckednowwhat.com. When you do, I actually also give you, there's five bonuses you get, but the first one is a 12-month self-care calendar. And in that 12-month self-care calendar, there are 12 different recipes for chai. Some of them have saffron in it. Some of them have turmeric in it. Some of them have pea protein in it. Some of them are actual tonics and have rosehip in it. I mean, so I've been able to conjure up some really amazing recipes of just self-nourishment because I know that 10 minutes, without a doubt, is if the kids are screaming, somebody's crying, whatever, somebody is needed, I know that I can actually crush the ingredients that I have, that boiling hot water of like seeping in, smelling in the aroma that I'm creating in that moment and just noticing it. And the kids could be screaming and I'm okay. It's a meditative practice for me. Before it was a chore, before it was something that I'm like, all right, I have to go make my chai in the morning. Now it's like, I'm going to make my chai in the morning and I'm going to put on whatever tune it is, whatever meditation track that I can find or music could be even EDM in the morning. Doesn't matter whatever I'm feeling. But for those five to 10 minutes when I'm seeping my ginger or whatever it is, that is the moment. I don't know. I don't care what's going on but I'm going to take that in. And that is a practice that I have that's been so nourishing and juicy for me in this stage of life. As you were moving through this period of your life, you had intentions set, you had goals set, but there are sometimes setbacks. So are habits like this, what contributed to you ultimately getting to where you are now? There's always going to be setbacks. I think that it's the part of life. There's something that I write in the book in part three when we get into the fly forward part. There is a framework that I talk about is the fly forward framework where... 
there are five stages. And every single time, the first stage is you get into a fall. And the falling stage is, oh, there's a setback. Oh, that didn't work. Oh, I reached out to a friend that I really want to get close to or I really want to get to know better. But man, she never returns my calls or she ghosts me or I've tried three times now. And, you know, I feel like maybe she just doesn't, she's not interested or she says she's so busy and maybe she is. Maybe it's not that she's trying to reject you. Maybe there is something going on personally in her life. Maybe she does need you to just be a little bit more patient, right? So we have that fall that initiates and sparks the stage two, which is the ignition of okay, well, maybe I'll just forget about trying to be friends or opening myself up because I'm getting rejected because there's that wound in us again that we're like not good enough or we're not being liked or we don't belong, right? That initial wound that comes in our our minds to think that, this is never going to go anywhere, right? This can come up with a new project we want to do or something that we want to try with our kids and they're just not. But what if we had a different reframe around it? And so the fall is not so much a fall, but it's maybe just a stumble. So stage one is that fall, but the stage two is that ignition. It's the, all right, am I going to go back into my previous ways of reacting to this fall? Or am I going to take a different step, a different perspective and head into stage three, which is rising, which is going about things with curiosity, maybe reframing what you thought about that next door neighbor or friend that you want to get to know. And you're like, well, hey, love, if there's anything that I could ever ever do for you to make it easy, like I really just want to connect. I hope you feel the same way. But to be vulnerable and to actually share like what your intentions are of getting to know this person without being afraid of being rejected. I think that's the big thing too. But also just to lay it out there because you're coming from a place of curiosity, not judgment and compassion for yourself and for the other person. So that's the rising stage, stage three. But then we get into stage four, magnifying, which then when we get into setback, when we get into really owning our confidence in whatever the thing that we're doing is. Maybe it's making new friends, but maybe you're giving these invitations for coffee or walks or whatever, and you don't even care anymore who says yes, who says no, because you know at some point they are going to be a heck yes to wanting to spend time with you or whatnot because you're building that level of resiliency. You're building that level, that new muscle of magnifying what you want. And then we actually finally get into the fifth stage, which is thriving, where some of these tinier things that used to bother you way back when doesn't really bother you anymore. Now you use this as fuel. Maybe now you start a podcast or you start journaling about it or you start utilizing it so that you can pay it forward for other people in some way or you start using it so that you can get involved with a school or with an organization that you love so that you can actually pass it forward and create ripple effects. I think that's great. And I like that you have a framework. I'm all about frameworks and just points that I can hit in my mindset, writing it down and kind of just reevaluating and reassessing what I'm going through. So I like that you have that framework in your book as well. But This was really a wonderful conversation. Do you have a word of encouragement you want to leave the listeners with? Or if not, you can just let them know where they can grab a copy of your book. Yes. Don't be afraid to suck at something new. You never know what will come on the other side and learning more about yourself in the process. But absolutely grab all of these amazing bonuses at thatsuckednowwhat.com. When you buy one book, you get the 40-page workbook. And there's so many other things that you can grab as well as when you buy books for three of your friends and then you can get the 12-month self-care calendar as well. 
It was such an honor to be here, love. Thank you so much for joining me. This was great. What did you think of the episode? If you enjoyed this conversation, I want to encourage you to leave a rating and review if you haven't done so yet. Leaving a rating and review is the best way you can help this podcast continue to succeed and grow. Again, thank you to everyone who supports The Minimalist Moms by listening, leaving those rating and reviews, or following along on social media at Minimalist Moms Podcast. As always, I invite you to keep the conversation going at minimalistmomspodcast.com, and there you can find links to the Instagram account, my Facebook page, and where you can find me all around the web. Thank you for joining up on this journey. I wish you a lovely week as you think more and do with less.